I'm Steve Shapiro, and this is Experience Matters. Welcome to Experience Matters, the podcast that explores the life-changing childhood experiences that go on to shape our adult identities. Sometimes we experience breakthrough learning in schools, but often our most profound learning happens outside the classroom, sometimes outside the school environment altogether. We'll explore those powerful learning experiences here and think about the implications for how we can reshape American schools. Education can take many forms, but whatever form it takes, experience matters. At the ripe old age of 10, Olivia Wysock founded her first business, Kitty Camp. Today, at 21, she's the co-founder and CEO of a venture capital-funded startup company called Tandem. Tandem is the only free marketplace for care services. It is revolutionizing the way providers get paid. Now, you might wonder, how does a 21-year-old develop the skills and experience to be trusted with seed funding from a venture capital firm? In our conversation, Olivia traces the powerful learning experiences that brought her to this point, and she explores the ways that schools can help encourage a new generation of entrepreneurs. Olivia's story highlights the extraordinary power of giving young people the opportunity to be in charge of something that they feel passionate about, and she highlights the enormous role that mentors can play in young people's education. As you listen to the conversation, I hope you'll be thinking about the untold potential young people have and imagining ways that we can help unlock that potential. Olivia Weinstock, welcome to Experience Matters. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk with you. I've known you your whole life and watching you develop from this engaged little kid into this professional adult CEO woman has been pretty exciting. Uh, how, how does it feel when people call you CEO Olivia Weinstock? It still feels weird. It was definitely an adjustment at the beginning, and there's still a bit of imposter syndrome there, but it's definitely exciting, and the longer I've been in this role, the more I'm learning and kind of morphing into it. The journey to your role as a CEO really began as a 10-year-old. You were just a little kid. Tell us about the origins of Kitty Camp. How did this whole thing begin? So I loved kids my whole life and wanted to babysit as a young kid. At 10 years old, that wasn't always an option in having parents, you know, trust someone who is just a kid themselves. So I decided to start a summer camp with some of my friends and invited just my two-year-old sister and her preschool friends. We created activities and had toys and things for kids to do. The ratio was really small. So it was like one counselor to each kid. Um, so it was more of a babysitting situation than it was a camp. But we definitely structured it in a way where kids were experiencing different activities and different themes um, and staying entertained throughout the day. So when you did that the first year, did you have a vision that this is going to become some business or was it like, let's do this thing this summer for something to do? Not at all. I really just thought like this is something fun to do for both sides. It gives parents a break. Kids have fun with people that are close in age to them and people who are really engaging. We were really hands-on with the kids and loved playing with them. And I think that that was something people really enjoyed, which then kind of morphed it into a continuation um, for following summers. At the end of that first summer, we were like, oh, we should definitely do that again next year. We loved it and we wanted to do it again. So I think the determinant was kind of the demand that we saw throughout the year. And in finding families to babysit from that first year of camp, we really saw that people trusted us and that it was something that we could continue. After that first summer, you were already sort of thinking about the next summer, starting to plan the group of babysitters. Your friends were like, let's let's do this again. Yeah, exactly. 
And did you have a growth model in mind or was it just like, well, let's see if it'll get bigger. Or we'll see who's who, who shows up. Yeah, it was kind of let's see who shows up. But then um, first summer we did one week. Second summer we were like, let's do two weeks. We loved it. It was fun. And we knew that kids were having fun. And so we did kind of want to continue it and knew that we needed to do more outreach to grow that ratio um, in having eight to 10 kids the first year, we wanted it to be bigger for sure. Were you having meetings with your counselors starting to form like a team, a business team? We were. We had five or six counselors year one. And during the year, we would all meet and plan out activities and themes for each day and also really had to determine the structure of more administrative stuff as well. So getting people signed up, getting people to pay, all of those were things we had to think about as 11-year-olds. Were you feeding kids? Were you thinking about food? I mean, all these kind of... Yeah, there was a lot of iteration. We tried year one, kids brought their own lunch. Year two or three, we actually made lunch for kids. And then we figured out that that wasn't the best model just because kids all like different foods and they were more likely to finish their lunch if they brought their own. So there was a lot to think about and a lot to try. And I think what we really found was trying different things and failing and then trying again was the best way to learn what worked. So how did your numbers change over the years? It basically started doubling first few years. And by the end of high school, beginning of college, we did it for one year after high school ended, we had 100 kids coming. 100 kids at one time? Yes. Wow. In your backyard, that must have been just mayhem. It was. And I think that was something, it was 100 kids would sign up for a week and parents really appreciated the flexibility that other camps didn't provide. So we had drop-ins, parents could text us day of or just show up. And because we already had their information on file and everything, we could accommodate them in you know coming to camp for just those four hours, which gave parents a really good break. Um, and they knew that their kids were you know well cared for. So you're building this camp year by year. Your numbers are growing. You're probably adding to your staff as this happens. Yeah. The staff kind of adjusted over time. We came up with a junior counselor model, which worked really well. Kids who came year one were now, you know, eight or 10, and they wanted to continue to come to camp. And we had an offer for them to come and actually just play with younger kids and help us out with passing out snacks and things like that. So that actually ended up being a big help because we were trusting these kids who were the same age as us when we started. And we were seeing the responsibility that they really appreciated as well. What's interesting to me as I think about this is all the different things you are learning over the course of these eight, nine years, you're, you're marketing, you're doing uh, staffing, you're doing payroll, you're doing uh, administration, management. Were you getting any formal training? Were you reading books or were, was this all just completely experience-based? Yeah, nothing. It was all experience-based and it was all really through the growth of the user base and kind of the growth of our ideas, honestly. So like year one, for example, we collected $60 in cash for each child for the week and then we just divided it up at the end of the week equally. But over time, we were making more money and we were raising our prices and experimenting experimenting with pricing. And we really figured out like, we need a bank account, we need to figure out an effective way for parents to pay us and for us to collect their information and store it safely. So all of those things were just trial and error. And it definitely involved, you know, some research and some outreach, collecting feedback, but there was no training or official learning. These weren't things we were learning in school. What was happening in school during this time? Like what kind of student were you? 
I would say I liked school. I was a good student and I enjoyed different subjects. But I would definitely say that the things I looked forward to throughout the year were our all-day weekend-long meetings in planning kitty camp and not as much studying for a, a calculus test. So I would definitely say that you know doing those things were more efficient for me and more effective for me in learning than actual schoolwork. Were you thinking of kitty camp as part of your education at the time? Or was that like, my education is over here. That's what happens in school. And kitty camp is like my hobby or it's something I do. At the beginning, it was definitely super separated. Kitty camp wasn't something we talked about in classes. It wasn't, you know, those experiences that we were getting outside of school weren't something that we discussed or kind of wrapped in. So there weren't projects that I was doing that was focused on this camp that was a huge part of my life as well and a huge part of my education. But I didn't realize that until later. I think when I really started realizing how much I had done and accomplished and learned throughout those eight years of my life was when I started applying to college. And in deciding to write my college essay, I realized that this was something that was really influential and could speak volumes in comparison to my formal education. This is interesting because I think a lot of young people are getting the message, really heavy message. And I guess the message can come from a lot of different places. It can come from other students, can come from parents, can come from society at large, that the way you're going to get into college is taking more, 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 harder, 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 building this academic resume. And it sounds like you found that that wasn't really the key for you. Exactly. And I did all the things. I took a couple AP courses and I applied for, you know, different clubs and honor society and things like that. But I truly believe that what ended up speaking to my college applications was the writing I did in explaining the camp that I created and how, you know, the consistency and growth and all of those things I learned really spoke to me as a person. What I think is really interesting about that, too, is that you were doing what you loved. You were excited about this camp, and it also was really benefiting you in terms of college application or life experiences. And one of the things that always breaks my heart is when I see kids who are just grinding it out with academics because they think they're supposed to, and it will get them somewhere. And I think, boy, you could maybe be doing something you really love instead, and it would actually be doing even more to prepare you and present you to a college Totally. And I was never one of those people who was super, super hard on myself about my grades. But, you know, I always got my homework done and I always studied for tests. And that was kind of the mentality. But in looking back, I definitely see all of the skills that I have now and that I'm using every day now really came from the camp and what I was doing outside of school. So if I would have had any of those opportunities inside of my formal education, it almost makes me think that the camp and that what I'm doing now could even be that much better. So you got into University of Michigan, you went to college, and now it's like, well, what will become of kitty camp? So I went to college. We did kitty camp for one year after college, so summer after freshman year. And then the next summer, it was kind of a question of every summer we had been like, we're, you know, we're outgrowing this, telling parents this is the last summer, and then it just never ended. Parents were asking us all year, when is kitty camp this summer? And we decided to pass it down to my brother and his friends, which I kind of oversaw for the summer after. So you became a consultant at the age of 18. Right. So I kind of did some training with them. I really led them in continuing the core values and practices that we had had for the past eight years, but also letting them learn and gain responsibility that I gained through doing it myself. I think one of the things that you realized early on is that you had built a really powerful network of folks who needed babysitters. You had actually developed something that had 
that had value and that you could consider monetizing? I mean, was that the founding principle or the source of what became Tandem? Yes. I always said, and we always thought about Kitty Camp as being one or two weeks over the summer, but it continued all year through the jobs that we got from the network that we created. So families were calling me to babysit. And then if I couldn't, they were asking, okay, so who do you suggest? And I found myself really valuing their trust that they held in me and the reliability that they saw in my suggestion. And the success of families and sitters and their relationships really came from that suggestion. So I saw a need for that. And eventually that is what founded Tandem. People are calling you and saying, hey, can you find me a sitter? And I can do that. But then you thought, well, that's something that I bring to the table. Maybe I should monetize that. Maybe I should capitalize on those relationships or maybe I can use that as kind of a middleman service. Is that the... Yeah, exactly. And it's it's kind of you see a need or a problem, I think, when people are coming to an individual for a need that is offered elsewhere. So I was a free source. I was at Michigan or on vacation wherever I was. And people were like, hey, I know you're not in Bexley. I know you're not in Columbus. Can you find us someone to babysit? And so I saw the need there and I thought this could be something bigger. Tell me about the next step. How did you get from I see this need to, I'm going to start a business out of it. So I kind of had a master list all, all throughout high school and college of all of the families I had babysat for in mostly Bexley, but also greater Columbus area as well. I texted everyone I knew and I was like, hey, I am going to try this out. I'm going to connect families and childcare providers. And if you want to use my services, let me know. And I was getting a lot of demand. People needed not only a date night sitter, but people needed a weekly sitter. And they were trusting me to find them that person and make that connection. And what I think I saw in terms of making it a bigger thing was that it really needed to be frictionless. I removed those barriers and other platforms weren't doing that. So the idea was kind of to put me in a box and make it tech-based. The fortune of your experience was that you had met venture capitalists who had sent their kids to kitty camp. Right. And so connecting with them and just saying, let me bounce this idea off of you ended up being crucial because now we have received seed funding and we're able to build this platform over the past year that we're now ready to really expand. And so Drive Capital heard this idea. They thought, this sounds great. This has potential. We want to support you. Going from I have kids in my backyard or I'm connecting people up with a babysitter to I'm going to try to build a platform, a tech platform that's going to be worthy of venture capital funding. That sounds like a pretty daunting leap. It was. And it happened really quickly. But I think what I learned and the biggest piece of advice that I will always take with me is you can't time these things. You really have to lean into the momentum when it's happening and the excitement. So when I originally met with these people who liked the idea, it was like, okay, let's continue that and let's try it. Okay. So you're in your junior year of college and you get this offer to get funded and you're like, wow, I'm a college student and I'm having the opportunity to be the CEO of a startup company. Right. How did that play for you? Was it like, what should I do? Yeah, it was overwhelming to say the least because the idea wasn't you'll be in Michigan, you'll be a college student, and you'll create this company. The idea was you won't be a college student, you won't be in Michigan, you'll be here, you'll be working with a team, you'll be hiring, and you're going to create this company here. 
And so I had to do a lot of adjusting and I figured out ways to continue my education and continue the semester I was currently enrolled in. Um, And then I really came home and fully dove into this role and really building the platform from scratch. I'd imagine that the folks at Drive Capital have been incredible mentors for you in terms of providing you some of the knowledge that you just haven't developed because you haven't been trained as a CEO. Exactly. And this was something that I was so fortunate that they recognized. They invested in me and in tandem, not because I was a business major, an accounting major, not because I had any sort of background in those concrete things that, yes, are necessary, but they're not the root of a good business. What they saw in me, I think, was kind of that drive and motivation and understanding of the industry. And so having that really lent itself towards them being huge resources in creating this company. And it wasn't those concrete things that, yes, I still need help creating a cap table or a financial model, but they didn't invest for those reasons. I look at what you've done, and there are two things that really stand out to me. One is that as a young person, you had something you were interested and passionate about, and you really invested yourself in it. And you were given space to do that. I mean, your parents obviously supported you and you know let you take over their backyard for a couple of weeks, and uh, parents trusted you to do this. But uh, you and your team really dug into something that you love and invested yourself in that rather than what somebody else was telling you you should be doing. Exactly. I ran kitty camp all throughout high school. I could have gone to college and been like, I want to be a business major. But I knew that the business aspects could come later and I wanted to do something I was passionate about. So the industry I was passionate about was childcare and kids in general. And so being able to run a company and having people behind me who know that those skills come as you need them is super important. I'm glad that I didn't take time in college taking accounting or finance or economics because those are things that I'm learning learning on the go. And it's funny to look back and be like, the biggest thing I was nervous about in starting Tandem was how do I run payroll? And how do I manage employees? And if you are a people person and have those skills, that those things come naturally and running payroll is something you just outsource. It's interesting what you're talking about because this is a conversation in education circles because most education is just in case education. Learn this just in case you need it sometime. And there's a new way of looking at education, which is just in time learning. So you're learning the things as you need them. This is the time I need them. And as opposed to learn this in case you someday need it in the future. And what you're describing is really just in time learning. I'll learn about that thing because I need to use it in some way. I need to apply it some way in a business. And and it sounds like that learning for you was really meaningful because you had an actual problem you were trying to solve and the learning was going to help you get the business to the next place. Exactly. And this came up so many times throughout this journey. And in the past few months, we've been really focused on hiring. And something that I found is equity is something we have to give out um, as supplemental to cash. We obviously don't have as much cash as we have equity. And in giving that out, you want to show people what that's going to look like over time. So when asked to do that for a potential employee who we were really excited about hiring, I had no idea how. But in asking one of my mentors from Drive to show me how, it took him 10 minutes to explain. And now those are skills that I have and use every day. But I'm glad that I didn't spend a semester-long class on learning how to do that because now I know how to do it and for exactly what I need it for. The funny thing is, had you taken that class, 
by the time you actually needed the information, you probably would have forgotten a lot of it, would have had to go back and relearn it anyway. Exactly. I think I would have needed that refresher, which took him 10 minutes of his time and took me being attentive. But now in moving forward, it's something I know how to do. It's also interesting listening to you talk because you're experiencing learning through failure and reiteration. And I think that seems like a really powerful part of how you've grown and learned through this process. Exactly. And one of the things that we kind of thought about at the beginning was we are going to have to figure out communication. Even when it was just myself and my two co-founders, the three of us, we came up with a meeting structure and a lot of my ideas on how should we you know, structure these meetings was based on the meetings I had during kitty camp. But that's not always going to work. So you try what comes naturally and what you think. But over time, the best thing to do is just accept feedback. And if things aren't working, you iterate on those processes. Did you have that same kind of opportunity to learn through failure in your traditional education? I mean, not as much because you think about a test you study for and you take it and maybe you get a redo. But if you don't do well on the test, you don't do well on the test. And in thinking about tandem in comparison to like a test, it's like I'm having the opportunity to make an educated guess like you would. And then if it doesn't work, you try again. And that's a huge opportunity that people aren't getting in high school or even in college. The other thing that strikes me as as I hear your story is the power of mentorships. I mean, you obviously did a lot of independent work as a kid developing this camp, but over time you started to harness the power and the experience of people in the community who knew things that could guide you. Can you talk a little bit about the role of mentorship in your informal education, your business education? Yeah. I think the biggest thing about mentors is showing you opportunities that you wouldn't have already known about. So in knowing the people at Drive who ended up backing our company, if I hadn't known them, I wouldn't have known that this opportunity was out there to make an idea and a passion into something much bigger that can service tons of people. So I think having mentors is crucial in you know knowing what's out there and knowing those opportunities. In going into college, I had done kitty camp, but I was like, I'll be a psych major or whatever it may be. And because I had resources to reach out to who were telling me that this was possible and believing in me, then I knew what my possibilities were. That's really a powerful reminder for all of us. When I was hired by Bexley to be the coordinator of experiential learning, one of the first things I did in the fall was work with some high school folks on developing Bexley Connect, which is basically reaching out to our network of people in Bexley. We have all these amazing folks doing all this incredible work and saying, would you be willing to share your expertise with our students? Our teachers are, of course, phenomenal, brilliant, and really committed, but our community members have experiences that our teachers don't in the field. And I think finding a way to leverage that combination of our teachers' expertise and support of kids with opportunities to network with professionals in our community can provide some really powerful opportunities for kids. I think that's huge because for high school, you go to school for four years and all of the people around you are teachers and that's the field that they're in. And like you said, they're awesome and they they teach you so much. But in going to college and people asking you what you want to do with your life, I had no idea because I really hadn't seen what was out there. And if I had known these people that are now so crucial in you know showing me what's possible, I think I would have had a better idea going into college of like, I really do want to be in a field where I'm an entrepreneur. I think a lot about how kids spend so much time doing school. You go to classes, you do homework, you take tests, you write papers. And I wonder if we can create opportunities for kids. And as you, as you show, it doesn't even have to just be in high school. It could even be elementary and middle school where kids get opportunities to do authentic work and connect with folks in the community so that they can see what's happening outside of the school walls instead of simply 
spending 13 years just in like a, a really deep school focus. Totally. And I think a lot of the barrier, at least for me, is school seems like school and anything outside of it seems separate. So I think a big thing is fostering ideas and telling people that you can share ideas in school and maybe those things are encouraged to be shared, but ideas can become reality as well. Yeah, it's interesting for us to really, as educators, think about how can we break down that wall? How do we break down the school walls to make learning something that happens not just in the classroom, but that connects to the community and to the broader world? Yeah, I think, as you said, with mentors, a lot of it is seeing those people in the community who are role models for high school students and telling them that if their ideas are legitimate, they can they can be like them as well. Well, it's been so much fun talking with you. I'm so impressed by who you are and what you've learned. And and you're just such a model of what can happen when someone takes initiative, makes experience a centerpiece of how they learn, and then connects with mentors as they go. And so, you know, it's really amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much for chatting. This was great. Experience Matters is recorded in Bexley, Ohio, in the shadow of downtown Columbus. Our producer and sound engineer is Ezra Lewis, a junior at Bexley High School. Our killer theme music was written and performed by Isaac Rowe, a Bexley High School graduate and current music student at The Ohio State University. Experience Matters is supported by the Bexley Community Foundation and the Bexley Public Library. My name is Steve Shapiro, and you can look me up on Twitter at Stephen T. Shapiro or on my website at stephentshapiro.com. Here's a secret to life that I've shared with thousands of students and, of course, with my own children. There is no such thing as an interesting person. There are just people who do interesting things. You can be one of them. All you have to do is seek out and say yes to new experiences.